All right, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you so much for your love for us. Thank you for your word. We tremble before your word and we want to receive it tonight with hearts that are open, ears that are ready to hear. We pray that we would be equipped for what you'd have for us as your sons and, and your daughters. Lord, we still our hearts before you. We know that you're God. Pray that you'd speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Our glory and joy. What comes to your mind when you think of your glory and joy? If you're a parent, it has to be your children. There's nothing really like being a parent. They bring so much glory and joy uh, into your life. What, what a blessing that God has given to us. For some, it might be your work. You go, man, if I think about glory and joy, I just love my work. I love what I get to be able to do, and God has really blessed me uh, in, in, in my work. For some of you, maybe a hobby. If you go, man, glory and joy, if I can get out and go hunting or fishing or skiing or, or maybe you have a recreational vehicle that you enjoy spending time with and go, man, that's, that's my glory and joy. I tend to bond to cars. Anybody else bond to cars or bond to, to vehicles? So it must have been the end of 1999, the beginning of 2000, I get a phone call from my dad that he had a coworker that was selling a 92 Accord. So now keep in mind, this is 1999. So worked a little deal and bought this car, and it was black and had 66,000 miles on it, and I just fell in love with that Honda Accord. And I drove that car all the way up till 2013, June of 2013, over 200,000 miles, lots of memories in that car. You know, my wife and I uh, going on our first date together uh, in that car. Uh, when we left from our wedding to go on our honeymoon, it was in that 92 uh, Accord. I mean... Countless days driving here to, to church to, to, to go to work. And on this particular day in June, I go out to the parking lot to get in my car to drive to an appointment. And I'm looking around the parking lot, and I don't see my car. And I, at first, I'm just going, well, I must have parked in the back, because sometimes I'll park in the back. And so I go to the back, and it's not there as well. Then I have the thought, maybe somebody stole my car. If you know something about 92 Accords, they're really easy to steal. They're one of the most uh, stolen vehicles. You can stick a screwdriver in the ignition and be able to, to start them. Now, don't do something crazy with that information that I <laughs> just gave to you right there. So I go get Robert, and I say, hey, can you just help me walk through the parking lot? I think my car's stolen, but I might just be losing my mind. So we pace it together, go to the back front, and sure enough, the car was stolen. And there went my glory and joy right there on June 2013. I've got the license plate up in my office. 800 BMG was the license plate. Strangely enough, a couple weeks later, it did return to me. The cops found it, but I'd already replaced it. And so it was time to let it go. It was time to, to sell that old uh, Honda Accord. Well, tonight we're going to talk about Paul's glory and joy. And he's going to tell us that it's the Church of Thessalonica. He's saying, this is my glory and joy. Now, most of us probably thought of the Lord when we think of our glory and joy. What we really glory in and what we really take joy in, and that's really good. But that's not what Paul emphasizes here. He emphasizes a group of people, a church, brothers and sisters in Christ, people that he saw come to know Christ as their Savior. And at the end of the chapter, he says, at the throne room of God... In the presence of God, you are going to be my glory and joy. 
And it helps us to understand what our priority needs to be in life. As we do find our ultimate satisfaction in the Lord, then that results in loving people. Because I think when it's all said and done and we get to that place where we're standing at God's throne room, there's only two things that are really going to matter. And that's the Lord and people. Those are the only things that are going to last for all of eternity. And this chapter is really rich in application because Paul tells us the manner in which he came to the city of Thessalonica. And we learn on how to invest in people, whether they're believers or unbelievers. Paul had to reestablish his relationship with his church because very quickly after it started, he had to flee because of persecution. It appears that there was false teachers, enemies of Paul that were coming in and saying, Paul doesn't really care about you because he had to leave and because he hasn't been able to come back. And they were starting to question Paul's care for them. So Paul's saying, I want you to remember how I came to you, the care that I showed to you. And then the second half of the chapter shows us the way the church of Thessalonica received the word of God. So it's how we share and how we're able to receive. So verse 1 of chapter 2, it says, For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain. So he's saying some people may declare that our coming to you is in vain, but he's saying it wasn't in vain, it was meaningful. But even after we suffered before and were spitefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we are bold in our God to speak to you the gospel of God in much affliction. So we're going to highlight several things, several ways that Paul came. And the first is he came in boldness. He came in boldness. He suffered much affliction in Philippi. You may remember he gets thrown into prison, beaten, put in the stocks, and he worships there at midnight. God sends an earthquake, jailbreak. People come to know the Lord is their Savior. So he's coming off of Philippi, comes to Thessalonica, and now there's also persecution and affliction in Thessalonica. Acts 17 gives us in great detail what happened, what he went through while he was in this city. But for verse 2, he didn't stop because of the affliction. He was bold in the face of adversity. When we think about having glory and joy, having lasting fruit at the throne room of God, it's going to take some boldness, isn't it? It's going to take continuing to share the gospel in the midst of affliction, in the midst of persecution. The power's in the gospel. We need to share it. We need to declare it to those that don't know Christ as their Savior. Maybe 10 years ago, 15 years ago, this would be hard for us to imagine in our lives in the United States of America. But now we're starting to understand to share Christ in the workplace to share Christ in our neighborhoods, in our families, that it comes with opposition, doesn't it? And I want you to hear this, and I believe it's from the Holy Spirit, is the gospel does its greatest work in the midst of conflict. So when there's people opposing the gospel, the gospel shines. And the stability of Christ is longed for. I read in my devotions this week in the book of Hebrews, And this is a paraphrase, but it's saying that God is shaking everything to make us realize that his kingdom is unshakable. So he's in the business of shaking things up in this life so that people turn to Jesus Christ and realize that he's the solid foundation. But throughout church history, throughout the Bible, the greatest work that happens in communities is when there's opposition to the gospel. 
So now that we're seeing opposition to the gospel, it's time to press in, not back off, but be able to share the gospel. Now, being exhorted in boldness, I think you need to hear the rest of the chapter. Because Paul's going to go on to talk about gentleness. So he was bold, but he was also gentle. Sometimes all people hear is be bold with the gospel, and they don't hear the rest of the approach in the ministry of the Apostle Paul. So verse 3, For our exhortation didn't come from error or uncleanness, nor was it in deceit. But as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God who tests the heart. The second attribute that Paul brings in his approach is truthfulness. He says, we came to you in boldness of the gospel, but there was no error in the gospel. When we're talking about how people go to heaven and how people go to hell, is there much room for error? You can have error on a lot of things, but you can't have error on the gospel. We've got to understand the gospel. We've got to understand the good news, that Jesus died for our sins. He rose again. The third day, according to the scriptures, it's through his sacrifice that we're saved. And Paul, with confidence, says, I came in the truth of the gospel. I came in the power of the gospel. There wasn't error. Then he also tells us that he came in integrity. There wasn't uncleanness. It wasn't that Paul was perfect, but Paul didn't have some deep, dark secret in the closet of his life that he was hiding, that he didn't want people to know about. I think that's important as we think about how does God touch a community? How does he touch Colorado Springs? How does he touch those that we care about? As we want to come to them in the truth of the gospel, we also want to come to them in integrity. We want to say, hey, this is who, who I really am. I'm not hiding something in my life. And he goes on to say there wasn't deceit, there wasn't any tricks. And the most importantly, in verse 4, he was approved by God. Paul didn't choose this. God chose him. God saved him. God said, Paul, you're going to be an apostle. This is, this is what I want you to do. And God approved him. And as you think about being used by the Lord, the most important thing is if God approves you. If the Lord's saying, yeah, I want you doing this. And thankfully, God uses the weak and the foolish things to confound the wise, doesn't he? He chooses those that we wouldn't choose. And if, if he's called you and he's equipped you and you're approved by the Lord, then that's what really matters. Paul wasn't trying to get the accolades or appraisal of men. Sometimes in reaching out to others, we start to get selfish, promote ourselves. We want people to, to see us doing well or get our name out there. And Paul's saying, that's not it at all. I was doing this unto the Lord. I was pleasing God, not men, because God tests the heart. So this is important as we're sharing with others, sharing the gospel and boldness, to remember God sees my heart. Why am I really doing this? Am I doing this to try to impress others? And man, what a futile task to try to impress people, right? Love you one day, hate you the next. We're fickle as people, aren't we? I mean, everybody was all excited about Brock Osweiler, and now it's like he's in Texas. Forget that dude, right? Those of you that aren't football fans, just humor me for just a moment. But he was the quarterback, the backup for Peyton that did really good. And then he signed with the Texans, and we've moved on, haven't we? Yeah, we sure have, and people are fickle. So don't worry about trying to please men, please God. In verse 5, for neither at any time did we use flattering words. Paul didn't use used carsmen, sales tactics. He didn't use excess flattery. 
as you know, nor a cloak for covetousness, God is witness. So he didn't come at this with any kind of cloak or coat of covetousness, longing for, for something that God hadn't provided for him, longing to, to fleece the flock. In verse 6, Nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, when we might have made demands as other apostles. So Paul says, I wasn't in this for myself. And I didn't make demands that maybe other apostles would have made. So Paul wasn't the kind of guy that's like, hey, the mighty apostle Paul is here. You need to bring me my coffee. Or any of those types of things. He came as a servant. And he's reminding the church of, of Thessalonica of those things. Bear with me here. It's really good. Really good tea. Uh, Still uh, getting over this cold a little bit. In verse 7, For we were gently among you, just as nursing mothers cherishing her own children. Now Paul really lost his man card right here. And he just called himself a nursing mom. It's... That's exactly what he did. But this is an extremely manly thing to do. Why? Because he comes in boldness, he comes in truthfulness, but he comes in gentleness. Jesus said, I am gentle and lowly of heart. The way that Jesus treated people was in a manner of gentleness. And what a display of gentleness that a mom would care for her child, that a mom would nurse her child. And infants are so fun and adorable and enjoyable, but they're also demanding, aren't they, when it comes to when they want to eat. It's like, you need to feed me, and you need to feed me now. And people that don't know the Lord and new believers are cute and adorable, but at the same time can be messy to walk with them as they learn to to grow in, in Christ. And Paul says, I knew that you were babes in the Lord, and so I came to you in, in gentleness. So think about how you approach people. Do you approach them with the gospel? Do you approach them in truthfulness? But do you also approach them in gentleness? And I want to extend to us as men, because Christ is the ultimate man, that it is extremely manly to be gentle. If Christ says that he was gentle, doesn't mean that he wasn't firm when he needed to be be firm, then this is the ultimate example for us, is to say, Lord, help me to have power under control. Help me to be self-controlled. Help me to walk in gentleness. In verse 8, So affectionately longing for you, we are well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you have become dear to us. The fourth way that Paul approached them was in openness. Openness. He said, I shared the gospel with you, but I also shared my very life with you. And that's the way Paul did ministry, is he was an open book. Paul's very open about his testimony, isn't he? Who he was before he knew Christ as his Savior, how God saved him. And one of the most powerful ways that we can be used to touch other people's lives is to share honestly from our lives. Say, this is, this is my life, and be open about it. And when we're open about our lives, what's the reality? That we're sinners, that we struggle. <clears throat> That we cough at inappropriate times. And how the Lord has met us and how the Lord has saved us and how he's continuing to pour grace out into our lives. So please hear this. 
God has worked a unique story in your life. And he wants you to share that with others. So be open about it. Be open about it. With believers and unbelievers. It's really hard for somebody who doesn't know Christ as their Savior, when they begin to open up about their life and say, this is some hard times that I've gone through, for you to identify with them and go, you know what? I can relate to what you're saying. I haven't been through exactly what you're going through, but I went through something similar, and this is how Christ met me, and this is how Christ comforted me, and this is how Christ got me through the midst of that that time. What are they going to say to that? It's always more impactful when we're sharing God's word with people if we let them know, you know what, this is how it's touching me. This is how it's changing me, and this is how it's challenging me. So he shared with openness, also his own lives. Verse 9. I'm just going to have to take a really good drink here, so bear with me. All right. <laughs> Verse 9. For you remember, brethren, our labor and our toil, for our laboring night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you. We preach to you the gospel of God. So faithfulness. He comes in faithfulness. Paul's talking about work. That he worked, he toiled, he labored night and day to make sure that his physical needs and the needs of his team were, were covered, were paid for, so that he wasn't a burden to anybody in Thessalonica. And your work, your faithfulness in work, your, your faithfulness to work hard impacts both believers and unbelievers. People notice, don't they? And your work can be your worship to the Lord. And so that scene in Paul, he labored night and day. He was faithful to work hard. You are witnesses in God also, how devoutly and justly and blamelessly we behaved ourselves among you who believed And you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father does his own children, that you would walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. So Paul now gives the illustration of a father and its firmness. So the gentleness of a nursing mother, but the firmness of a father. And look at this relationship. It says exhorted. And with that challenge, he also comforted and charged so that they would walk worthy of God. So this provides us with a really full picture of how to be able to invest in others. We want to have the gospel at the forefront. We want to come with the gospel. We want to come with truthfulness. We don't want to be hiding anything. We don't want there to be any air. Gentleness. Oh my, we we need gentleness. But then as well, openness. This is how God's worked in my life faithfulness, and then firmness. How many times have our lives been touched and changed by one of these attributes? Someone's open with us. Someone's gentle with us. But then also someone's firm like a father and charges us and exhorts us. Exhortation is, come on, you need to take this next step. And I'm going to hold you accountable to do it because I want you to walk worthy of the Lord. You guys have noticed, I've noticed, there's so much need around us, isn't there? So many people that don't know Christ as our Savior. Many times we feel very under-equipped. How would I ever be able to share with them? 
It comes through the power of the Holy Spirit. It comes through the power of the gospel. But God wants to use you. That's the important part of this message. This isn't just for the Apostle Paul. It's for us to be encouraged and for us to get our hearts and minds that this is a way for us to be able to reach out. I think the Christian life gets exciting as we begin to invest in others, unbelievers and believers as well. So now let's look how they received the word. For this reason, we also thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it, not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. So they're hearing Paul share, hearing his team share, hearing them declare the gospel, and they received what they were saying, not as the words of men, but as the word of God. They go, there's something special about the way these men are speaking. They are speaking the very words of God. And that's how we want to receive God's word as well. As we read God's word, that we go, there's something special about the word of God. This ties very much into our Saturday and Sunday message as we are in Mark 4, the way that we hear the word of God, the parable of the sower, the condition of our hearts. In Isaiah 66, it tells that God looks upon those who are poor and contrite and tremble at his word. So God's attention is upon those that aren't prideful, where they're approaching God's word going, I'm poor in spirit. I realize that I'm broken. I realize that I don't have everything together. And that tremble before God's word. That's one of the things I love about our church, our congregation, is you tremble before the word of God. You come ready to study the word of God. Some people ask us, why do you have so many Bible studies? Is that all you do around here? I mean, you've got a Wednesday night study. It's like, I've had people tell me, that's so old school. Nobody does Wednesday night services anymore. And I'm I go, I know, but that's when we go through the Bible, Genesis to Revelation, and I really feel like it's the backbone of the church, and God, God's using it. In youth ministry, we share the Word of God, we get into the Word of God. Women's Bible study, men's Bible study, our retreats, why, why do we spend all this time getting into the Word of God? Because we believe it's living and powerful. Because we tremble before God's Word, we believe that there's life in, in God's Word. And that's what was true of the Church of Thessalonica, as they approached God's word with the right attitude and the right heart, and they, and they received it. And Paul says, man, I'm thankful for this, and I, I thank God for this without, ce- without ceasing. In verse 14, For you, brethren, became imitators of the churches of God, which are in Judea, in Christ Jesus. For you also suffered the same things from your own countrymen, just as they did from the Judeans. So here's the church at Thessalonica as they receive God's word in humility, but they're also in humility able to receive godly examples. And they start following the lead of the church in Jerusalem, Judea, in a good way. Not putting this church on a pedestal, but realizing these are good godly examples. So we're going to start imitating what the church, the first church has done in Judea. And then they begin to suffer the same types of persecution that the church did in Jerusalem. Who killed both the Lord Jesus and their own prophets and have persecuted us, and they do not please God and are contrary to all men. So the Judaizers that came against Paul, those that didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah, 
start coming against the church of Thessalonica as well. Remember, there was a large synagogue in Thessalonica. There was a large Jewish population. So when Jews started to get saved, they started to persecute the church. Verses 14 and 15 to the church of Thessalonica had to be really encouraging, don't you think? You go, man, we're a brand new church. We're doing our best to follow the Lord. And they get this encouragement from the Apostle Paul. Hey, you're following in the same footsteps at the church in Jerusalem. And these guys that are persecuting you, they killed Jesus. And they're the ones who persecuted us as well. You're in, you're in good company. And phew, great. They probably felt a lot better about the persecution that they were going through. So verse 16, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they may be saved so as to always fill up the measure of their sins, but wrath has come upon them to the uttermost. Going around saying, look, you guys can't take the gospel to the Gentiles. Paul has some harsh words for them, doesn't he? He says, to fill up the measure of their sins, for the wrath that's going to come upon them to to the uttermost. Because it's one thing to reject Christ, and it's another thing to become a roadblock to prevent other people from hearing the glorious name of Jesus Christ. And I think it's much more easy than we may think to, to lose sight of the Gentiles, if you would, people that don't know Christ as their Savior. And maybe even look down upon people that are investing their lives in taking the name of Jesus to those that haven't, haven't heard Christ. In verse 17, But we, brethren, having been taken away from you for a short time in presence, not in heart, endeavored more eagerly to see your face with great desire. So Paul's saying, even though we were only there a short time and we got taken away from you, we want you to know that our heart is still with you. It's not a lack of our our love. We want to see your face. Verse 18, therefore, we wanted to come to you, even I, Paul, time and again, but Satan hindered us. So Paul emphasizes this by putting his, his name in here. And he's saying, I, Paul, this is Paul who's speaking to you. I wanted to come to you time and time again, but Satan hindered us. Now, how did Satan prevent Paul and his team from going to Thessalonica? We don't know. He doesn't tell us. But I can tell you this. When there is a real will to reach people, so you're, you're moved, you're compelled, and you're saying, I am choosing to desire to see people reached with the love of Jesus Christ and people are receiving the gospel. They're coming to know Christ as their savior. The war is going to follow. So what comes first is the commitment to reach people. People are now receptive and they're receiving the word of God. Then what's the next thing that happens? Satan's going to want to try to hinder the work. That's the way that, that, that he operates. And thankfully the God is... God is greater. We have to understand from this verse that there is real opposition that comes from the enemy. And here's where I want you to focus tonight as we conclude in verse 19 and 20. It says, For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ, his coming? For you are our glory and joy. Paul really opens up his heart in chapter 2 of 1 Thessalonians. I came to you in boldness. I came to you in truthfulness. I came to you in gentleness as a mom nurses her child. I came to you as a father. 
I long to be with you. And then he, he gives us these words. He says, what's our hope or our joy or our crown of rejoicing? So what's your hope tonight? What's your joy tonight? What's your crown of rejoicing? What are you really looking, looking forward to? And maybe it's things like retirement. And is there anything wrong with retirement? Not necessarily. But hopefully in the midst of retirement, it's more than just wanting to pick up seashells at the beach. Or it's like, yeah, enjoy yourself. But in the midst of the privilege of being able to be retired, hopefully you're investing in people. Hopefully you're investing in the kingdom of God because when we get to heaven, how impressive is that seashell collection? We go to the Lord and say, God, this is how I used the last season of my life. I was so blessed to not be able to have to work. God goes, Eric, I've never seen seashells like this before. Now, now go, te- go check out heaven. And then, Eric, who have you invested in around the throne room of God? What believers have you encouraged? What, what unbelievers have, have you shared the gospel with that then they receive Christ as, as their Savior? And it really brings things into view. I don't think there's anything wrong if the Lord blesses you with the opportunity to be able to retire and, and not work. But we never retire from being the child of God. Amen? We never retire from his mission of, of making disciples and reaching out, out to others. So we think about this in very practical terms. Time has a way of trashing our trophies, doesn't it? The 92 Accord gets stolen. That's been so faithful to you for, for 13 years, right? That state championship that you longed for got the on the varsity team and the letterman's jacket. If you're a big sports guy or gal, where's your letterman's jacket? Mine's in my closet. Every once in a while, my kids go, what's this? Oh, it's a jacket, you know. I got mine when I was a sophomore in high school, and I thought I was going to really fill out and be a really big guy. So it's like three sizes too big. I never, never filled out, right? I remember when I got that letterman's jacket and I was so, so proud of it. Nobody cares, right? Nobody cares if we were state champions or we won the debate championship or we got the employee of the month award or any of these things. Time has a real way of, of trashing our trophies, doesn't it? It was so important to us, but now it's not our crown anymore. It's not our, it's our, not our glory. And we go through our lives trying to find all of this glory and joy, and Paul has it right. He says, you're our hope. You're our glory. You're our joy. You're our crown. And when we get around the throne room of God, and in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming, for you are our glory and joy. So think about being at that moment where you see Christ, And then you begin to look around the throne room of God. And by God's grace, you begin to see people that you invested in. You see your spouse that you poured into with with the love of Jesus Christ. And we know that we won't be married in heaven. And for some of you, that causes great sorrow. And for others, that causes great rejoicing. Think that through. You'll get it on the way home. 
I hope that we understand that we had a special relationship together. I mean, I look forward to being at the throne room of God with Amber and grabbing her by the hand and being able to worship God together. Go, babe, thanks for investing in me and the Lord. Thanks for praying for me and the Lord. Thank you for sharing scripture with me and always putting the kingdom of God first. We're going to look around for our kids. That they would surround the throne room of God. Grandkids, for those of you that have grandkids, we're going to look around for believers that we invested in, that we poured our, our lives into, people that you shared the gospel with, maybe like Paul, where it was a brief encounter, he wasn't at Thessalonica very long, wondering what they did with the gospel. Maybe that seed planted. Maybe somebody's going to come up to you at the throne room of God and say, man, I didn't know you for very long and you shared the gospel with me and I didn't respond that day. But 15 years later, I opened my heart to Christ and I never forgot when you told me the gospel. Thank you so much. And you're going to look over at him and go, wow, you're my glory. You're my crown. You're my, you're my joy. My mom and dad didn't grow up in a Christian family. They were the first to get saved on both sides of their family. My mom had never heard the gospel and she had a classmate junior, senior year of high school that shared the gospel with her. She didn't get saved. But she remembers that was the first time that she heard the gospel and then they both got saved in their early 20s. You know who planted the seed of the gospel in her heart and life? Some unnamed classmate that she never saw again that she knew at that time that shared the, the gospel with her. Powerful, isn't it? And then this becomes so crystal clear of what we want to be investing our lives in. What we want our our glory and joy to be. Now, please hear me on this. Is It doesn't mean that you have to be on staff at a church or that you have to work for a nonprofit or that you have to be a missionary and go overseas. Nothing wrong with all of those things. And God calls people to do that. And we get behind those things and we're excited about, about those things. But from a biblical perspective, we're all in the ministry. And it's not just somebody who works on staff at a church. And I think a lot of times we think, well, if I want to impact people for Christ, I have to be on staff at a church. Do you know that you're going to come in contact on a personal level with way more lost people than any of our pastoral staff ever will? What if all Christians in our cities worked at churches? How much salt and light would the body of Christ have in Colorado Springs? Not very much. Right? When there's a house for sale or house that's going up for rent or an apartment next to you that is vacant, what do we tend to pray for? God, just bring a Christian into the neighborhood that doesn't play loud music and do all this crazy stuff. And just, I just want my street to be peaceful. I pray those things. And God might be saying, I want to bring hell on wheels on the corner, right? Because <laughs> you got a job to do. You're your glory and joy is right down the street. And now you have an opportunity to go to him with boldness and truthfulness and gentleness and firmness and all the things that we began to talk about. And I think when we start to see every aspect of our lives, I know some of you moms are stay-at-home moms. You're going, man, I just, I just don't think that I'm doing much kingdom work. You are the ultimate missionary. You are the ultimate pastor inside of your home. And what happens to the church, what happens to a culture, 
What happens to a society if kids don't get raised? You're doing the greatest job that's so valuable to, to the Lord. Don't think for a moment that your life isn't having impact for, for all of eternity. And we begin to do our lives and go, right in front of me is an opportunity for investment. Right in front of me is an opportunity for discipleship. So I go to this grocery store all the time, begin praying for that grocery store. There could be somebody there that's going to be your glory and joy. That you're going to have an opportunity to share the love of Jesus Christ with. So there's that aspect with unbelievers of, of God stirring our hearts and saying, yeah, reach out. But then there's also that aspect with believers, and please hear me on this, is it's not always easy to be in relationship with other believers because we are sinners. And we all get hurt. We sin against others. Others sin against us. But please don't stop investing in other believers because they're your glory and joy. They're your glory and joy. Paul's talking to believers here. He's saying, this is the church of Thessalonica that I'm committed to, to bring the gospel to them, but also to see them grow in Christ. And when I get to heaven, I can't wait to be in the throne room of God in his presence and look over and go, yeah, yeah. You know, if your kids graduated high school, graduated college, married somebody that you're really excited about, you're like, yeah, this is my glory and joy. They made it. I never thought they'd graduate high school, but they graduated high school. High five and mom, those type of things. How much more so to be able to be with a group of believers and go, we made it. We made it. God was faithful to his promises. And for have them, and have them come up to us and say, you know what? Thank you for being kind to me. Thank you for being a friend to me. Thank you for investing me in me. Thank you for telling me that hard thing that nobody else wanted to tell me. I really needed to, to hear that. And you go, oh, wow, this is something that had impact and lasted for eternity. When we were in worship tonight, I was kind of looking around. I was worshiping, but I was also looking around going, man, God, I'm so thankful for this group of people, for these people that we've been able to journey through life together that love the Lord, that are here on a Wednesday night to study, study scripture. And I can't wait to get to heaven just to see all those that have been a part of RMC over the years, some in ways maybe that we've never even seen. Maybe those that have tracked on the live stream for a while, and God used it in their life or in the radio ministry, or those that were here at the church for two years or 20 years. And we know that we're a part of the body of Christ as a whole, but Paul's writing to a specific group here, and he's saying, this group is really special to me. This group means a lot to me. This is my glory and joy. And I think that's the way we feel about one another, where we're thankful to be a part of a church family and we look forward to being able to finish strong together. So time has a way of trashing our trophies. So invest in things that are eternal. The letterman's jacket's not eternal. The 92 Accord is not eternal. Almost, but not. <laughs> but people are eternal. So you invest in that relationship with the Lord and you invest in people, believers and unbelievers. And I don't think we stop doing that until we take our last, last breath. As long as we have breath on this planet, it's for a purpose. It's to know Jesus. It's to grow in grace and the knowledge of him and to share Jesus with others, to share with unbelievers and to encourage believers. So let's stand and let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you for your word.
We receive it tonight. We pray that you plant it deep in our hearts and our lives. We thank you for those that have invested in us. We thank you for the Pauls that we've had in our lives. And we pray that we could invest in others, that we could invest in unbelievers and believers as well. Would you fill us afresh with your spirit? And we love you in Jesus' name. Amen.